Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to the first episode of the Coopcast for 2022. I hope your year has started off with a bang. I hope that you're starting to get all of your races and events and goals lined up for the year. Mine certainly has. It's been an incredibly busy season over the course of the past six weeks. I'm really excited about the next several guests that we have lined up on the Coopcast. The first of which is going to touch on a topic that I've touched on a lot in trail and ultramarathon running, and that is this subject of injuries, how to prevent them, and the overall injury rates. Make no mistake that I think that we are doing a pretty bad job across the entirety of the community of preventing and treating injuries, particularly repetitive stress injuries, and we can't do enough to try to unravel the mystery of why these things start to occur. And so on the podcast today, I brought on the lead author of a narrative review that I happened to find in September of last year, the title of which is The Consequences of Training and Competition to the Musculoskeletal System in Ultramarathon Runners. And this was in Frontiers in Physiology in uh, September of 2021. I have the lead author of that paper, Alicia Partica, and I have her advisor or Zibby on as well to discuss what this whole compilation of literature that we could find in ultramarathon runners, what it actually says about how we can prevent them, what the root causes of this are in the first place, and practically what can athletes do from a training perspective, from a cross-training perspective, from a strength training perspective to try to stay on the right side of the injury line. I would encourage all the athletes that are listening to this podcast to go back and and also listen to this this series of three podcasts that I did with my three favorite physical therapists that I work with, which are John Chow, Jessica Lehman, and Nat Collins that I did several weeks ago. That is a treasure trove of information on how they view their physical therapy practice and getting athletes on the right side of the line. But one of the things, one of the themes that will certainly emerge throughout the course of this particular podcast is that simple solutions are always the best ones. That's true in training, and that is certainly true when we start to look at the body of literature that exists that relates to injury rates and injury prevention in trail and ultramarathon runners. So keep that in mind as a theme throughout the course of this podcast. There's the initial ramble. I'm going to get right out of the way. Here's my conversation with Alicia, Partica, and Zibby all about injuries in ultramarathon running. tell you alicia like you 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 tackle you're trying to tackle a pretty big bull right (laughs) and and what i mean by that is is all runners are injured and it's a problem it's a problem that's plagued the endurance community ever since the endurance community was a community and i've said on this podcast a number of times that we we quite frankly we suck at it we suck at being uninjured if you look no matter how you slice and dice it and you know the data way more 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 than i do the injury prevalence rate 
in my mind, when I look at it analytically, I'm like, this is unacceptable as a community, like for 50, anywhere between 50 and 70% of people getting injured in a year for a particular sport. That's just not, I don't view that as an, as an acceptable outcome. Now I don't profess to know what the answers are. Right. And that's where we lean on good folks like you and the physical therapy therapy community and things like that. But I appreciate you trying to tackle it because it is such a big one and it, it makes a big difference for athletes in terms of their overall outcomes because training availability is such a big part of success at the end of the day and in in turn sports so so to start out with i I appreciate you tackling it i realize it's not a it's not an easy it's not an easy answer and it's not one that we're going to come up with some sort of like lightning bolt at the end of this podcast and say oh well if everybody just took the blue pill you know instead of the red pill then everybody would be fine <laughs> it's definitely definitely not going to be like that but but before we get into this i want to get a little bit of background just on your research group and your team and the university and i think zibi you might be the you might be the the person to to answer this can you kind of just give a, the audience just like a general overview of the university there and the sports that you're working with and some of the research that's that's getting conducted there uh so first of all jason thanks that you invited us here and uh it would be a pleasure that it's very nice that somebody noticed our paper which is you know not so common in uh, in everyday life so uh thank you very much for inviting us and uh, well, um, I am from the university of, let's say university is a big word because it's a small university, small school, academic one, but it's uh, uh, focused on physical education and sports and physiotherapy also. And my interest in the, in the ultramarathon or also marathon was, uh, as always it happens, but it was accidental. I, I was running, I was running a lot, but then I started to run a marathon. Then my friend professor started making a perfect research. And then when I took part for the first time in research, looking at these people running 24 hours, well, it was the day when the, everything started. And then I, I don't have a great team, big team in, uh, in university. Um, we have a four or five person uh, researching the ultramarathon from the physiological point of view. And I'm, me particularly, I'm just also researching the motivation of the ultramarathon marathon. So that is, uh, let's say, the background. And we have a nice laboratory, nice research center, which helps. And what is more important, the most important thing, I have like 10, 12 marathon runners, which are always keen to make a research. So when I'm inviting them just to make a 24-hour run in winter, in summer, anytime, just, you know, just, just call me. And I already, let's say, in a couple of days, and they're coming and, you know, we're doing, you know, uh, punishing them and uh, running. So, so that is nice. And thanks to them. They would not heard about it because they are, let's say, they don't, even don't speak English because uh, in Poland, the group of ultramarathoners are mostly not educated and just like, you know, normal everyday people. It's- so I think let, let's start with this maybe, yeah. It's so hilarious that you mentioned that because everybody that I've brought on in this podcast, and most people have this kind of like cross bridge between studying some of the more traditional endurance sports like cycling and marathon running, and then they kind of cross into ultra. And one of the points that they always lament is, is like, we can't find subjects that will want to run on a treadmill for 24 hours or 12 hours or whatever the protocol is, is because A, the subject pool of people that can actually do that starts to starts to dwindle down pretty quickly but b even the subject pool of people that can do it the ones that want to do it even get whittled down anymore even more but it's so it's good that you've got an enthusiastic group there that you can constantly poke 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 and prod um, yeah, this is just adding a little just they they have also some um some relations with us because we help them also in training 
I mean, they give them results. We help them, yeah, just, you know, the measuring all this stuff, just helping them with the diet. Uh, so, you know, it's a kind of a both way relationship, it's a mutual interest, let's say, but, uh, uh, but it's not so easy. Just three times per year coming to the laboratory, making some, you know, <laughs> so hard stuff. It's, uh, it's absolutely not easy. And, uh, but thanks to them, you know, they, it's possible. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to dive into a, a narrative review, excuse me, a narrative review paper, Alicia, that you wrote on injuries in ultra marathon running. And as I, as I mentioned during the onset, this is something that it, it currently plagues the endurance community. And I think it's going to continue to plague the endurance community. And so to, so to tackle it from this big, broad narrative review perspective, I think it's quite a monumental task because a, the, the, the scope of what you're looking at is so broad, but also, but also B within an ultra marathon context, the, the data, and I'm going to let you speak to this in, in a second. It's, it's kind of thin just because it's, uh, and what I mean by that is, is there haven't been a lot of really controlled studies or even observational studies on ultra marathoners as a whole that we in a very robust fashion that we can look at and draw some some conclusions and so you're trying to do that so i appreciate that i appreciate the effort despite some of those um some some of those uh limitations so to start out with like what what first off what prompted you to do this like because you probably knew the situation going in that you were going to be faced with some of these variables like what motivated you to start to to tackle this narrative review in the first place i, I cannot deny it was a tough task to do but uh my motivation was just a curiosity because uh, like it happened to me that I, I'm a runner and it happened to me to be a part of the organization group of the ultra running race. I was volunteering there and it was by chance, but uh, I was quite surprised that such people can do that and they are still alive and they are just still doing that for several years without any injuries which would stop them from doing that so uh, as i'm a medicine student i started reading the, uh, some stuff some looking for some resources uh, and in fact i was surprised how many i found um and by the time I uh, just read too many of them <laughs> and because of that I decided not to just keep it for me. I decided to write a paper just to share it with the others. So it was an innate curiosity based off of you observing this silly sport where people can can somewhat appear to continue to locomote and perform even after hours and hours and hours on end. Um, I think you just touched on one of the things that I initially want to talk about is, is that one of the things that comes through in the paper that we're starting to see, we're starting to see this theme emerge more and more across a lot of different areas of ultramarathon running, not just injury, which is going to be the pre predominant topic topic that we're going to discuss mm -hmm. today. But this is this concept that ultramarathons are not simply long marathons. And we see that we see that theme pop up 
from a training perspective, we see ultra marathon runners train a whole lot differently than marathon runners. We see them look a lot different than other marathon runners just from a just from a visual standpoint. Their nutrition is different, certainly from uh, from marathon runners. Their psychology is different from marathon runners. And Zibi, you have done a lot of research in this area uh, based on based on motivation. We can definitely see a compare and contrast between the ultra marathon world and, and the marathon world. But specific to this paper, one of the one of the things that kind of came through is the injuries themselves are different between the marathon community and the ultra marathon community. And, and I wanted, I wanted to know, can you help us kind of understand what that fundamental difference is and maybe why we see those differences in injuries between those two groups, which you think would be similar because it's all just running, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's all just running, but like we have to distinguish those all all those differences which we can see. It's not only about the distance, but also the pace, the terrain, the climate. Most of uh, ultra runners uh, run in the mountains, so that's all the reasons which can lead us to that thing that it's not only longer marathon. And I think one of the take-home points from that is is the way to potentially mitigate some of those injuries might not look the same as the way to potentially mitigate them in a in a running perspective. So this is kind of where I'm going to ask us to take our research hats off and put our practical like coaching and training hats on. And maybe Zibi, you can jump in for, from this perspective as well, because there has been a relatively well-established way to help prevent injuries from uh from a traditional running perspective and that runs all the way from load management right and you, the very prototypical 10 percent rule of volume increase is is predominantly rooted in this injury prevention uh perspective there's a lot of physical therapy modalities and strength training modalities and things like that that are kind of aimed at specifically keeping marathon runners healthy and I'm wondering if either of you can comment on is how much we should be translating those into the ultramarathon world with that same outcome, knowing that the injuries are slight, they're at least different, whether they're slightly or, or, or to a large degree different, that's to the eye of the beholder, but should we at least be looking at it differently? And then maybe even how can we look at those mitigation strategies differently? So maybe let, let me say something. Uh, first of all, we have to, we have to sh separate uh, runners. I mean, like uh, uh, because the, the reasons of the injuries uh, when we have uh, are different. When we have, uh, let's say, beginner, we, we call them. I call them sometimes non-starters. Which you know, they practice a lot. They're preparing for some, let's say, marathon first time in a year in their life, and then uh, they probably are not prepared to the first marathon. It's uh, I think it's normal. They are not prepared because they they, they cannot expect what they happen to them even. Uh, and the most of the injuries in the marathon runners in the beginners are because they are unprepared for the marathon. So that is the reason. And uh, the second reason is if we look at the let's say elite amateur or the professional runners. And then we touch, touch the different different area of the injuries because they are because the, uh, the these runners these athletes are prepared for running because they know what to expect they run I don't know several times this distance or the the, 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 the area and sometimes the, the injuries appear by accident 
I mean, you know, the uh, the surface, something just happened, uh, you know, the, the, the mis misconduct of anything. And then another one, which are uh, unexpected because the the workload was so high that our body cannot, you know, survive this, uh, this workload, uh, which happens especially with elite amateurs, with professionals, with, uh, which try to win the race. And then they push the body above the limit, not above the limit because they were unprepared to the limit, but it will be you know higher and higher higher. Uh, as you know, the um, uh, I tried to calculate it to, to miles because normally we use kilometers. The uh, world record in 24 hour run is uh, approximately 188 miles, yeah, which is huge distance. 24 hours run. So um, uh, the pace in miles is 764 uh, minutes per mile. Cool. 24 hours. So you can imagine how great workload is put on the athlete. Okay, we can lower it to some decent uh, result. I don't know what, which result in 24 hours you expect. Like, let's say everything, in my opinion, everything above 130 miles per 24 hours is a decent result for me. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, you kind of broke up there. I, I didn't kind of, I didn't catch the last part of that question. Ah, okay, I, I mean that if you, if you uh, the decent result in 24 hour run is above 130 miles. Yeah. Yeah, let's say that. Yeah, and if I could, yeah, you know, calculate it, it's nine minutes per hour, you know, yeah, nine minutes per mile. So it's also a very, very hard workload. And then we can we can we can look at the guys who is running at this speed at this level, prepared, unprepared, and so on and so on. So these reasons are, first of all, separated with unprepared people and elite athletes. Two different worlds. So it's the first reason. And what about this unprepared? Well. It's, uh, you know, it's a lottery. You can, you can took any, any injury, but it's not the reason about the ultra marathon because the people are unprepared. And in elite athletes, then we can calculate and point specific injuries, which are reasoned by, uh, by some other preparation. Okay. So with the, with, the, with the normal people, right, the non-elite athletes, based on what you are seeing in the research, is it really just a matter of preparation? I mean, this is what you're kind of coming down to. Is it just, is it really just they're screwing their training up essentially is the way I would look at it as a coach. Yeah. Uh, just shortly, mostly there's unprepared as sometimes I have a, uh, the, the examples with my friends, they are overtrained even. Sure. You know, they are ultra marathon runners, but are very often overtrained. And then when it's coming to the, to the, to the race, and then it's absolutely not working, and and and, and mostly it finished with the with the serious injuries, even. And let but let me ask you this, because uh, Alicia, you might want to jump jump in with this piece since you dived so much into the literature. That mm -hmm. that conclusion, can we kind of base that off of a process of elimination, or is it is it? More, are we coming more to that conclusion based on what is out there? And what I mean by that is, is you can look at, okay, this isn't causing injury. That's not causing injury. We can't supplement, you know, all that well to help prevent injury, you know, it, and, and eventually it just comes down to, well, the only thing that's left is, tr is training, right? That's the only variable left that's like correlated with it. Or is, is there something that's actually definitively pointing to, people are just not training very well. <laughs> I hate to say that as a coach, like we're not doing our jobs or whatever. I guess what I'm trying to get to is, it, is it a process of elimination or is there definitive research that's pointing to, to, to that answer that it's the training component that's driving most of these injuries? Well, I think that is 
all about the training in fact all other factors can also influence that but the the biggest influence is just about the training and also i wanted to add that um and the thing which is also important that uh, are those injuries which are already ongoing and they are not completely healed before the race so just sometimes it's about the common sense and the decision to make if it's really worth it to try to compete with that in that condition right you know what I mean? Well, the the prevalency rate on that. Every time I go and I reread the literature on this, I'm always shocked when I when when I see that. To know that anywhere between like ten and sixty percent of the people lining up for an ultra marathon have an injury when they're going when they're going into it. I just once again, I going back to my very original statement. I just kind of shake my head and go, "We we are just doing this all wrong." There's there it should not it should not be this way. And I wanted to, I wanted to know from you, from you, does, is that shocking to either one of you, like knowing the marathoning world, knowing the endurance world, knowing the marathon, knowing the ultra marathon world, that so many people are lining up on the start line already battling some type of injury? Yeah. Yeah. It's still surprising a lot, but for sure there is some motivation to do that <laughs> we cannot deny and like i think that still ultra marathoners just uh they want to prevent it but still the the time they put into training and the efforts it's too much just to say that they don't want to compete uh, for some period of time and just to give them rest. Well, I think a lot of it ties in, Zibi, with some of your previous work that we weren't planning on talking about, but we might as well jump into it. And this is just the motivation amongst this group of athletes, which is different than than uh, than marathon runners, but also... I would say higher than marathon runners. And then I will also say that the amount of time or the amount of the frequency at which ultra marathoners compete at is higher than your prototypical marathoner. Then there's a lot of good statistics that I'll link in the show notes uh, from run repeat site that'll point to that. But I'm wondering if you could kind of jump in and, and, and based on your previous experience with, with, motivation amongst ultra marathoners is that playing into this whole injury cycle that we're seeing in the ultra marathon community yeah absolutely i, I think also the, the, the good the good comparison uh, uh, is that you know a lot of people trying to decline the mount Everest. most of them are unprepared for this uh, and i think sometimes it's very you know keen, fancy to start in ultra marathon eh? marathon what is it? marathon now it's nothing well everybody run marathon let's try on <laughs> a bad water or whatever yeah that's a, that's a, you know uh, something yeah so i think that people they, you know trying to get on the you know high emotions with this and uh, uh, and 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 i'm prepared trying to you know to evidence somebody to people and uh, uh, and the, the, in our paper, there, there was a, there was a data that uh, about the uh, age and the injury in ultra marathon, and it was evidence showed that the older ultra marathon runners had less injuries than younger ones, and of course it's related to um, some some factors. First of all, they created a higher tolerance to pain 
and their body is prepared. You know, more most times they were prepared to extreme uh, conditions than younger ones. There is also data. I don't know how to treat them, but they they calculated that a ten years age difference uh, is related to decrease by half injury. So if you know if you if you part part the the ultra marathoners, you know by, by ten years. Uh, brackets, you know, uh, every 10 years training ultra marathon properly with the coach and with the, according to all the rules, decrease the, uh, the, the possibility of injury. So that is the, also the, uh, the reason. And about this motivation now, that is, uh, uh, you probably know, it's, a, it's an interesting story because these motivations are completely different. We are using, uh, I was using the, uh, let's say, old device or all the, all the questionnaire, which is motivation on marathon scale. All this master son is like, I don't know, 40 years ago, decided did it like 76 questions, which is, you know, boring to, to put the, the marks and everything. But, but uh, I had a group, very big one, more than uh, 1,500 people uh, did it. And uh, uh, there was like two important words. First was one uh, just showing what is the, this motivation. And there is this, these motivations are divided into four areas, let's say psychological it's like life meaning and self-esteem uh, second one is achievement let's say such as sports it's a personal goal for achievement and competition a social and physical so there's like four areas you know and uh, interesting was that uh, um, i divided the guys like uh, marathon runners and ultra marathon runners see to become an ultra marathon in my experiment it has to be like finished three ultra marathon runs and uh Okay, well, uh, it was like uh, maybe a simple division, division, but I had to choose some. And uh, it was like the short distance runners, uh, you know, rated uh, psychological coping, self-esteem, uh, competition, and uh, health and weight concept as larger motivation than ultra runner colleagues. Yeah, and uh, what is interesting, the the ultra runners were driven more by qualitative uh, aspects of the of the running. I mean, the life meaning and affiliation. So, you know, the, for, mostly for this, I, I know a lot of them. And for them, the, uh, you know, the traveling, racing with friends, uh, being in this society is absolutely more important than uh, good results and, and winning the competition. It doesn't mean that they didn't strive to win, but, uh, you know, it's not so, not so important. So according to, also according to the age, it changes also. So uh, it was my second second paper what I did, and uh, uh, it showed that absolutely for now it sounds absolutely funny, you know, that for ultra marathoners, health orientation at older ages is very important. Which sounds, you know, maybe also as a reason why the older ultra marathon runners has less injuries because they take care about it. This all kind of comes back, and the one thing I could keep thinking about is that an overabundance of enthusiasm is the root cause of all of this right probably yes yes yeah, probably. You, and you go back even this even even this age proposition which you know i mean i think if you presented that to somebody who is unfamiliar with the research and maybe that's they're like a freshman level exercise physiology student you said hey it, is it more likely that the younger athletes are getting injured or the older athletes are getting injured in an ultramarathon. They'd probably say the older athletes because they're older, they're more frail, they have more miles on their legs and all this other stuff. And it's actually the opposite, right? The uh, older, more experienced athletes actually have fewer injuries. And I think it's predominantly driven by the younger runners can handle, they have an overabundance of enthusiasm and they can handle acute workloads 
much more readily and they don't know any better. They can handle acute workloads much more readily than the older athletes. But because of that, four weeks down the line, then they get hurt after all those, you know, acute workloads start to start to add up. Um, Is there anything else remarkable that is worth mentioning on this phenomenon of more experienced athletes get injured less? And once again, you might have to kind of take your research hat off and extrapolate a little bit, but I think that this area is actually quite fascinating and there's going to be opinions left, right, and center, whether it's an experience thing or whether just the sheer volume of miles that they have makes them more tolerant or, you know, the younger athletes are, are just stupid and not training correctly, you know, they, or they have an overabundance of enthusiasm, as I mentioned earlier. But I, I was wondering what you guys think about that. Like, is there anything that you observe or that can we can kind of like tease out of the research that is just interesting about this experience part where, it, where more experienced athletes, older athletes actually get injured less? And less experienced athletes. So maybe Alicia, if you want, if you want to say say, because you're just thinking. So. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think, like in my opinion, it's also about uh, that years of training leads them to the reconstruction of their body, right? And that can help them to achieve more and to get injured less frequently and it comes on not only to muscles but also to the rest of the body right yeah and i i think maybe you can also talk about some of the time course of those adaptations and this ties back to the interventions piece that i was talking about earlier where a lot of athletes they'll want to take they'll want to undertake a physical therapy program or a strength training program or something to like shore up or strengthen their tendons and ligaments and things like that. And if what we're seeing in the research is that the more experienced athletes are getting injured less, does that speak in parallel with some of the time courses of those particular adaptations specifically to the tendons and ligaments that we're actually, that, that we're actually talking about? Or is it just something where it's, we can't, we can't really draw conclusions from? Mm, I, I'm not sure. I, I think that the, about the uh, any physiotherapy treatments, I think that the younger ones are more uh, efficient because they know them, they use them. You know, it's a it's a most more popular in my in my experience. The older ultra marathon runners, the only one is uh, I don't know uh, hot water after hot bath after the after run something like this. Even even some of them when we I, I was I was arranging I was uh, the the organizing like four times uh, Polish championships, twenty four hour run and forty eight run, and we uh, we just uh, prepared the uh, masses for them the massagers, you know, and uh, uh, let's say ten percent of them use them. Less of them say, okay, we're finished, let's go home, it's done. And then going to car, traveling like 600, 600 kilometers to home using no therapy. And you know, that's the first hours after race are the most important one. So it's, um, I think the older ones doesn't care about the, about the physiotherapy. I think uh, it's my opinion. I don't, not my opinion. I'm my just, you know, experience, hmm. which I saw the, the, with the athletes. I, we had last, one time we have a, a research like 48 hour run. And then we keep them for three days in a hotel just to make, uh, you know, blood samples. And trust me, most of them didn't leave the room even for, for nothing, just waiting in the room to come to them. We said, hey, there's a swimming pool, there is some, you know, some area if you want. No, it's okay, I'm fine, okay. <laughs> I don't need anything. I have, a, you know, a free time here, so it's good, perfect. You bring me food, everything, that's nice, yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, 
I think, you know, sometimes I think that ultra marathon, uh, you know, people are out of the, any, any rules, you know, it's absolutely for me. And uh, let's say we have to, you know, extract from this the professional ones. You know, we, we, try, we usually, you know, strive for the world records for winning the competition, uh, like Kouros or, uh, you know, Kylian Jonet. You know, it's a up, totally other part of the world for me. I, I did the research on them and trust me, we have uh, some cases. One case was like a guy on the, during the 24 hour round, it was like 14 hours already. And he just had some problem with, uh, with breathing, with the heart, you know, the, the uh, emergency took him from the race to the hospital, checked him all these, you know, CK levels. I mean, the cardiac uh, on all which I show. And, and they did it three times, you know, they checking the machine if it works, you know, because his level of the CK was like six to 100 times norm. Yeah. So probably they said, you, you cannot leave, you know, it's impossible, you know, according to normal people, you are dead. Okay, it was a Belarusian. It was a Belarusian guy, you know, and uh, uh, he said, "Well, okay, if I'm dead, I can go back to the race." You know, <laughs> he just got out of the hospital. Trust me, and six hours more, just was running, walking to the end of the of the race. So, you know, these people sometimes get out of any scientific rules and anything, which is also related to their motivation and tolerance to pain, which they created during the years. Well, and that's why I always caution people when they look at whatever successful elite athlete and they say, well, so-and-so does this in order to perform well or to become uninjured, which is the theme of this, this conversation. So that's what I'm going to do. I mean, a lot of ways they just hit the genetic lottery, Alicia, and you touched on this in the paper, right? I mean, genetics might have a role to, to play in all this that, that you probably, that that's a hard comp. I have a genetics degree, right? That's a really complicated area to, 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 to tease out, but for certain, we see athletes that despite themselves continue to remain uninjured and there's no explanation for it, right? They violate every single rule that you could see in training and everybody's, yeah, we're having a failure of audio here. Everybody's throwing up their hands on this, on this zoom call. Um, but I, th- I think suffice. I mean, if I may interrupt you, you know, yeah. these guys, it wouldn't last for this, for the whole year, for whole life. Right. There is some point where the body has just say, oh no, stop, I wouldn't do it anymore. I have my paper about my case study about the ultramarathon runner, you know, extreme guy who was running from Poland to Vatican to Spain, you know, 42 marathons, 42 days, you know, all the crazy stuff. And we, we suppose that he's, I don't know, from steel or for what, yeah, but being 51, he has a chest pain. Uh, landing in the cardio cardiology di- division in the hospital and so on. And after two weeks of this, you know, the doctor said, you know, most of your uh, heart, you know, enzymes, cardiac functions are very bad, but please don't stop running. If you stop running, you know, you will die for sure. <laughs> so it was the, you know, absolutely, it was, uh, uh, you know, uh, luckily he got to the, to the professor of cardiologist who was, you know, very, you know, educated in sport cardiology also, because normal doctor, normal professor put him to the bed, lying for one year, just getting, you know, recovery. And you no, know, no, he just said, well, after two days, he wanted to come to, you know, practice, but, uh, okay. After two weeks, he came running still, but of course, you know, lower intensity is just taking care more and probably he would not be injured to the end of his career because now he's very careful about it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that anecdote there, that there is a limit to it. And, and typically, <laughs> sometimes it, t- it takes decades for that to actually show up, but there are limits to it. And we got to be careful what we, what we mirror it and or pair it in 
our own practices and what athletes uh, mirror or parrot in their own practices that are based off of some other athlete that may or might may or may not work for them. Um, I kind of want to steer this a little bit back to more of the injury prevention part of it. So we we've kind of come to this conclusion. This has been a conclusion on a number of from a number of different guests on, on my podcast that training load management and experience are the predominant things that affect injury rates, meaning more experienced athletes and athletes that are managing their injury load uh, correctly are going to be the, the, the big, the big heavy hitters here. Is there anything really specific that we can direct athletes to, to get a handle on this? Because a lot of people listening to this, they're not coaches, they're everyday athletes. They're looking at their training. They're, they're preparing for, you know, the Western States 100 or hard rock or, you know, some ultra marathon either here in the U S or abroad. And they kind of want to know how to bring those best practices to life from a practical point of view, right? They know how much they're running right now and they want some direction, some sort of like directional arrow on their training. Are there any broad recommendations that either get teased out through the literature or an extension of the literature, Alicia, that, that, that you did that we can guide these athletes with to try to stay on the, on the kind of the right side of this injury line? Yeah, in fact, one thing which came to my mind is just to practice also different activities to diversify our training, right? Uh, I know that many ultramarathons, they are not only running. Uh, that's not the way to, to, to be the best. Like you should add to your training also different, uh, other different activities like cycling, some of them are swimming, uh, some of them are practicing yoga. And that's the thing because ultra marathon, it's, um, it needs our whole body to, to work. Sometimes even if um, they're climbing the mountain, they're using poles to do it. And uh, in fact, during the ultra marathon, the runners are using their their whole body. I think, and uh, from my experience, it looks like this: that uh, we we need uh, something more than running. Mm. So it, w this kind of comes back to some of the differences between marathon runners and ultra marathon runners and the way their injuries show up. So prototypical marathon injury is a, is an overuse injury, right? Emphasis on the word overuse. It's a repetitive stress injury. You're doing the exact same motion within a very, very, very finite degree, the exact same motion thousands and tens of thousands of times throughout the course of, of any sort of training cycle. When you get into an ultramarathon perspective, and I'm and for this example, I'm using kind of the prototypical ultramarathoner that's a that's a trail ultramarathon or not a 24-hour track runner or something like that. That repetitive stress is always slightly altered, right? Because the surface is different, the grade is different, their stride length is different, their stride rate is slightly different, all the different biomechanical angles that kind of compound into these overuse injuries all kind of get varied out. And you see this play out in the types of injuries, right? Between marathon runners and ultra marathon runners, whether it's a ligament in injury or, or, or a tendon injury. So Alicia, your comment on 
the cross training modalities being being kind of part of part of that whole injury management equation is actually quite suited because the the modality isn't as specific right that's the way i would take that as a coach right a, a typical marathon run training program that mode is very very specific because all the biomechanics are are essentially identical right from the beginning to the training to the mm -hmm. end of the training and ultra marathon since you're going uphill downhill off camber on camera on trail off trail all those biomechanics are so different that these cross training modalities might be able to a mitigate training, but also be have a little bit greater degree of specificity towards the training process as well, because it's not so locked into one biomechanical pattern. Yeah, exactly. Like also adding some practicing of running downhills and just to get used to things which they are going to use during the race. Yeah, training specificity. This came out in your paper as well, right? Training specific, training <laughs> specifically for the race. We're all kind of laughing right now. Like, why is that so funny? It seems like such an obvious thing to do, but yet so many people don't do it. Zibby, you jump in right here because you just made a really good, a really good smirk. I mean, is this is this something that we need to take in? We need to put higher on the priority list in terms of overall training and and potentially mitigating injury. This training specificity component. Yeah, surprisingly, that this is so obvious, as you said, that people don't do this. Right. So that's, that's, that's the reason why. I, I don't know why I didn't do this. But uh, I also think that a really important thing that the people should uh, should make some testing uh, during the practicing, before the uh, racing, after racing. You know, I know it's not so obvious and not so popular, but uh, I think more, I, I'm not saying about the injuries to our uh, movement system and the muscles, uh, bones and cartilages. Okay, that is, uh, I leave it behind. But uh, most of the overtraining about the cardiac, uh, you know, problems uh, comes from uh, uh, limited knowledge for, for people. Because, uh, I don't know, you work as a coach, probably how many people is taking a laboratory test of VO2 max? Yeah, very few. Probably, yeah. Very few. Yeah, okay. So, so uh, during this test, you, you can find your border. Which shouldn't you shouldn't you not exceed? Exceed. I mean, like the you know anaerobic anaerobic level, which is you have to know that I would not exceed like I don't know 165 heart rate per minute or whatever. Because if I if I move above this limit. For sure, I finished in a bad shape, probably with some with some problems uh, and. Uh, very little people is doing this and another one is I, I which i suggest to people which us which will hear us and uh make once i know it's not so easy but like making uh six or five times going to the blood testing with all the most important you know uh morphological parameters to test for instance the creatine kinase uh, ck it's a very popular one it, it shows the muscle damage in the in the humans and uh uh, there is often the normally in the train athlete after let's say 48 hours it comes to the normal pre-race state level i mean like it's normally it's a 300 units so you know at least sometimes exceeds 70 times this level which is absolutely you know it shows the muscles are absolutely damaged and in train at least after maximum 72 hours it comes to the pre-race level so you know it's like huge huge race and then it comes to the to the uh, to the normal level and very often in untrained people it took even more than seven days yeah. so if you go for at least slow jog a slow training after two days then you are still in the area where your muscles are damaged and you're damaging them once more 
So you know, once per year, once per let's say five or ten years, people should do like how many times, how long it takes my body to recover. It, with this one simple, you know, this creatine kinase, it will be great, you know, uh, avoiding the injuries because I know many times of, oh, I, I feel good, I, my my muscles feel good, but you know, the CK it doesn't pain, so it's just you know, in in our blood, it it changes membranes and and the blood flow is very complicated then. I know you have to go to the doctor just to make a prescription to some testing, blood testing, so on. But it's I think it's good to find out our mechanisms in my in our body individually, and then you know that after such a heavy race, I need two weeks complete rest, for instance. Yeah, and uh, I think that will be reason that we help just avoid some some basic overtraining uh, injuries, which came also that we are not rested already. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I've had a number of uh, blood testing uh, specialists on my podcast as well, and they they've really emphasized two big things. The first one, it's both of these speak to exactly what you're talking about, Zibi. The f- the first one is is having a purpose with why you're testing, right? So if you want to test for nutritional deficiencies, you want very specific tests for that, and you want a certain frequency for those tests. If you want to test for muscle damage or the recovery from muscle damage, you want very specific tests for that, but also you want to do it at specific times that are different than if you're testing for some sort of miner- mineral or nutrient type of type of deficiency. And I think all too often people think, that, oh, well, I'm just going to get one test and I'm going to glean this treasure trove of information from it. And really just one of them is just, it's, it's kind of meaningless unless it's like it's unless something is very very far off the spectrum in, in a disease state um but, but uh, you know the only one, one more just just one, one more easy, easy easy way just to test our our conditions are you know heart rate variation tests yeah uh, all we have you know the, the watches which uh, even uh polar polar system have implemented to the watch you wake up in the morning you're just using it like a two minutes two minutes or four minutes you know and then you know how your body recovering how your heart is recovered or not so i i, I think that five percent of athletes doing this you know <laughs> all, all of all of them know this but i don't know do you know any athletes doing such a testing do no i mean i would say very very few it's really interesting that you mentioned that because i, I kind of come back to this I have to have interventions that people are going to, that are, people are going to comply with. Mm. And intellectually, this is going to be a complete tangent, by the way, you guys are just going to have to put up with it. (laughs) Intellectually, when people are putting in 10 to 20 hours a week of training, you would think that they would be able to make the time to once every two months, once every four weeks, go get a blood test to spend Mm. two, two minutes every morning checking their heart rate variability but the compliance on those things that are such a small proportion of their overall training time is quite shit to be honest with you their compliance is just terrible no matter how much i emphasize it or whatever they'll do the 20 hours a week training but if they spend you know two minutes a morning checking their heart rate variability it's like 50 percent hit rate it's hilarious um yeah that is the reason totally what would you come you know that the injuries appear you know people people don't care you know they have a training plan they do the okay they, they will do this training plan let's hope properly and that's done yeah they think that they are prepared for marathon or even sometimes from ultra marathon well but it doesn't work like this 
Yeah. Well, and it kind of comes back to this is the golden goose, right? So you guys mentioned from the onset that preparation is kind of the key, right? People are coming into events underprepared. They're going into training, their training environment or the training load that they want to adjust to in an under in an underprepared fashion. In a lot of ways, if you think about it, trail and ultra running is it's ripe for that because you can't make your training sessions as granular as you can on the road, right? With a, if you're doing road running, you can turn around at any point, right? You can run 10K, you can run 10.2K, you can run 10.4K with, with a lot of precision, right? Or whatever time equivalent. On the trails, that granularity gets kind of lost because of the logistics of it. You get stuck on a loop or you want to do this route and it's either 10 miles or 20 miles or, you know, 15K or 30K or something like that. Like the differences in how granular you can make each training run or or just less, right? A lot of it depends on the area. But when we come back to this whole mystery, Alicia, that you were trying to un- to unravel. And if it really is training load parts of it, athletes have to have practical ways in order to adjust and design their training load, right? Or I guess I should say that opposite, design and then adjust their training load. And I think the first theme that we touched on earlier to kind of put a to pin on that is to think of yourself as a more experienced athlete, right? And you're just generally doing less at that point. And the second thing is, is if you have some very basic monitoring pieces, those will go a long way. And this is something that you didn't touch on touch on in the paper, but I'm going to bring up just because we've been talking about it here. Some very basic heart rate variability monitoring and or blood test monitoring and things like that will go will go a long way. It doesn't need to be over elaborate, but from an injury prevention standpoint, you can pick up a lot of things. Alicia, was there any, is there anything else as we're starting to wrap up on this that was remarkable to you that kept coming up in all of the pieces of literature that you were reviewing, which were a lot? I was trying to take a tally a second ago. Uh, hold on a second. It's over 70 citations that are in this one uh, review yeah. paper. Was there, was there anything that was remarkable to you that just kept it, kept coming up time and time and time again that's a theme that's worth touching on? <laughs> like right now it's quite difficult for me to to distinguish such a thing because it was over a year ago when i finished the paper uh like all those preparations and uh citing thing but um let me think for a minute uh, i think like many authors referred to ck for sure it was like, like the, one of the most popular yeah. um biomarker creatine kinase and is what what you're referring to to so the audience that's not familiar with that uh with that abbreviation uh, I think it has. yeah yeah like it's a biomarker of muscle damage and in fact, it was seen to appear in such many um, papers that we already know quite much about CK and ultra running and many associations between other markers and CK and yeah, that's the thing. So in that case, I think that we can take much more from blood tasting than it was before. 
Yeah. And that, that is one that where it has such a huge variability associated with it. Right. I, I go back to some of the research. I was trying to pull it up, uh, in this book that's on my desk. Um, uh, some of the research that was done at the ultra trail du Mont Blanc, well, well, where they will find some athletes will finish the race with a CK value of around 3000 and other ones over a hundred thousand. And when you see that type of biological variability amongst the people, amongst people that have gone through the exact, the exact same thing, right. It's all 160 kilometers. It's always quite remarkable. And it makes you think, why is that? Like, why is that different? And it comes down to training, right? The ones with more training exhibit less muscular damage and the ones with less training exhibit more muscular damage. It kind of comes back to this simple proposition that we've come back to time and time again. Uh, Zibi, is there anything else you want to you want to touch on within this, this research or anything else uh, in your uh, at your university in your lab that you guys are doing? Um, generally, you know, also there was uh, two research in this in this review paper that showed that uh, absolutely uh, the better the better runners, I mean, leaders show the lower levels of creative kinase. Even if they have a greater uh, intensity, I mean, they, they, they had to put the greater workload because they won the race uh, or they were, they were leaders of the, of the race. So that is also important. If you are well prepared, I mean, if you are not overtrained but well prepared, which is sometimes uh, really, really hard point because the ultra marathon runners think that if they run more, they will be better at the race, which is not true because our human body, you know, has some limits to training and then you get overtrained and then, you know, you're just skip out on the race because you are, so you're done, let's say. But I, what I wanted to say, and just to be a kind of advice, because we have a paper uh, in 2018 in Journal of Clinical Medicine about the uh, novel cardiac biomarkers about the, uh, I mean, the cardiac about the, our heart. And I suggest every 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 marathon runner, of uh, especially ultra marathon runner, just to first of all make an echocardiogram of whatever they have they can do in in the area before starting to practice really hard because many people has many disabilities with the with the heart response and probably they can kill it themselves you know so that is the reason and uh, another one that the, the, the cardiac biomarkers have a specific uh, work or way of working of, you know, I don't want to just get into details, but uh, uh, most of such a people who want to race and make like 160 miles run, they should absolutely make, uh, uh, let's say it's a, it's a, it's a, no, extensive, no, extensive, I cannot remember. I mean, the VO to max and cardiac research with, during the exercise, how the heart works, uh, during the exercise, I mean, tested in the every every cardiology division has such a has such a devices, and then you will know if your heart is generally ready for the racing. And uh, uh, we have uh, we have many many examples in Poland that are very talented, very young, and very older ones. Let's say guys stopped training because they overused their heart and didn't treat any. They never tested their heart. You know, that is the strange reason. In Poland, there is, in my opinion, stupid rule when you're uh, trying, when, when you want to start in any race, yeah, just, you just sign any, you know, certificate. Okay, I agree, I, I'm healthy and everything fine with me. I take care about myself. Okay, you sign it, yeah. And then 30% uh, of ultra marathon runners, you know, after 12 hours of 24 hours run, just, you know, uh, stop running because they can't so they do it longer. In professional sport in Poland, you have to be tested by the, by the medical doctor. 
before you start the race. And then you can imagine it looks totally different. You know, I don't know how it works in states, but uh, but probably it's the same case. Yeah, that uh, you 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 say that I'm everything fine with me. I I, I sign anything, and that's all. So that, that's my suggestion to people who, who want to treat the ultra marathon running seriously. Just test your heart during intensity during the, the exercise because you never know what can happen. And, uh, now uh, I, I saw many people. You know. Uh, during this four year for four years of organizing this this, uh, this race, I saw so many even you know overrated people trying to make an ultra run. I said, what do you want to do? You know, I, you, you can show what that you are you know weighing like twenty kilos more than uh, limit, and you want to twenty four hour run. Of course, yeah. Uh, after six or seven hours, you just you know resign because it was impossible. For from the beginning, it was sure that they will not finish. Yeah? So. So, so I mean that the people shouldn't, you know. Okay, Mount Everest is the highest mountain, you know, and everybody wants to go with the climate, yeah. But uh, uh, well, if you want to run an ultra marathon, something serious, just get tested before, you know. And I suppose if we, if people would start like this, they would not be not injured, but finish with happiness and smile at the face, and not like being, you know, dying. Here's what's going to happen though, because <laughs> the, getting that type of test is actually, I mean, it's not easy, but it's not hard in the U S to get an exercise EKG, you know, the accessibility is there if you really want to go do it. But most of the times what happens is, is you end up going into your run of the mill cardiologist that is well intended, but they're not working with an athletic population. And so they don't have the experience to interpret the results amongst an, an athlete and an athlete's heart is, you know, as you guys are well aware of is in many cases, markedly different than a sedentary heart or somebody who is, is, is unfit or even diseased heart. Um, but mark my word, this is what's going to happen. We're going to come back on a year from now and then revisit this discussion. All of the wearables, your garments and your Suntos and your Coros watches and things like that, they're, the hardware is going to get good enough to where you can get exercise EKG on the wrist top. They're, they're getting there now, but it's going to be more prevalent probably within about the next 12 to 24 months. When that data starts to come out, people are going to freak out. Like people are just like, they're going to freak out. Am I going to kill myself on my next run? Because they're, they're, it doesn't exist right now. And when it starts to exist on mass, it's going to cause it's going to cause a lot of panic because there already is this uh, there already is this undercurrent in the endurance community that yes you can exercise too too much either too hard too much too much volume or whatever and that's deleterious to to uh, to, to cardiac function once once the armchair uh, uh, cardiologists start to come out and start analyzing all of these EKG results on on mass because of the wearables it is it, trust me it is gonna cause so much panic we're gonna have to leave that banter for for another day though but I I'm, I'm kind of with you that um especially for athletes that are experienced just going in and getting routine exercise EKG with a uh, with a with a cardiologist is a really good baseline to, to cross just to make sure that you know, your heart's in, your heart's in good shape and exactly. yeah, yeah, just to, just to check it. I think that that's a really good cor- course of practice for any, anybody who wants to stay in the running game for an appreciable amount of time. 
All right, you guys, we're going to let you go. Thank you for coming on and thank you for your research, Alicia. This is, I know this is a really big task to, to under, undertake. You're probably fortunate to have it in the rear view mirror now, knowing that you looked at this a year ago, but I appreciate you bringing it back up. Um, do either one of you, uh, before we uh, let you both go, uh, want to let the audience know where they can find more about you, the lab or the research that you're doing? Yeah, I think the easiest way to reach me is to go to the research gate, which where all my data, all my papers are fully accessible in PDF file. So I invite you seriously, and uh, and maybe at, at the end, just let, let's short uh, short joke. Uh, uh, at some point, I wanted to uh, uh, you know to improve my personal record of marathon. Well, it was lousy because it was in Athens. I did like four hours, 15 minutes. Well, that was great for me. And then I come to my friend, this, this you know, this chest pain marathoner. And I said, you know, uh, you have to help me to write me some training plan or whatever, just to be like 3.30. Okay, that's just looking at me, looking at me, say, you know, Zibi, uh, the history of the marathon result, even just touch yourself, you know, is there sense for this or not? And I was thinking about it, uh, okay. And from this point, I running like 4.30, 4.45, happy drinking water as water stations, like standing and talking with nice girls. And you know, guys, that is also the reason maybe sometimes we push our bodies, our, you know, our bodies, you know, to useless maximum, which is nonsense sometimes, you know. So maybe let's stop and run, you know, look around, just see, speak with somebody running, and then we just prevent our injuries that, you know, running just to getting the better results. Take the simple things is what you're trying to say. <laughs> All right. I appreciate you guys coming on. We're going to let you go and uh, we'll bring you back on at the, at the in the year once we start to look at all these EKG results. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. There you have it. There you go, folks. Much thanks to Alicia and Zibby for coming on the podcast today. I'm going to bring them back uh, at a at another point in time. I will also put links in the show notes to some of Zibby's research that he has done with this whole motivation aspect that we talked about. And I do think that that goes hand in hand with a lot of what we see from an injury perspective. And as I mentioned during the podcast, I think a lot of this can come down to this overabundance of enthusiasm that we see in the trail and ultra running community, which is a really awesome part of the community, but also can be detrimental to the athletes themselves. And particularly when we're talking about injury rates within ultra marathon runners. As always, you guys, I appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you. If you like this podcast, you can share it with your friends or you can give it a rating on iTunes. Both of those help the podcast out a tremendous amount. And as always, we will see you out on the trails. 